1: When Christ comes and the storm breaks loose against every evil and every person who sides with it at the end of time, will you be able to stand? That's the salient question here.
2: That's Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is the conclusion to a message we started the last time we were together, the seal of God from the east. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast. I'll have information on how you can attend the worship service in person if you would like. You can also attend anytime online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentanker with the conclusion to the seal of God from the east. Today's reaching your heart.
1: Obedience and faith make a person a tree. So in Revelation 14:12, when it describes those who get through the mark of the beast, it says, "Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus." They are trees. In Ezekiel 40 and 41, palm trees were pictured all over the walls of the Hebrew sanctuary depicting righteous people. In Exodus 15, 27, Moses records that 70 palm trees grew beside 12 springs at Elam as they were moving toward Sinai. And these 70 palm trees represent the righteous peoples of the earth. There were 70 nations that arose in the genealogies after after Noah in Genesis 10. So the 70 palm trees represent the righteous peoples of the earth and the 12 tribes of Israel are like the springs that were meant to water the peoples of the earth. In the Old Testament a tree is a symbol of a righteous man or woman and that person doesn't have to be an ethnic Jew. Just a righteous man or woman who honors God's name, who has faith in God and who keeps the seventh day Sabbath of the Bible. Let me prove it to you. Turn to Psalms 92 verse 1. Now, this is a song for the Sabbath, the only song in the Hebrew Bible that is here defined so in this way. It says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to thy name, O Most High. Now, look at verse 12. The righteous flourish like the palm tree, and they grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. So, one who sings the Sabbath song is pictured as a person who is like a tree transplanted in the Hebrew, taken from this world into the next, put into the house of God by the grace of God. Friends, God picks them up and He takes them to where He lives. Through faith and obedience, they have a right to stand in heaven's ground because they love the land that is coming, not the one that is. The Sabbath is a sign here of the rest that comes through faith and obedience. Turn to Isaiah 56, verse 3. Here we have it again. Isaiah says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Now what's a dry tree? A dry tree is a tree that has no life. God is saying, You may not be able to have children. You may not have a family. But if you have me, you have life. You are not a dry tree. Look at verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. So here, God's covenant in the context His name later on, and the Sabbath, we find them together. It says, God's people are like trees watered by the Holy Spirit. They're not a dry tree. They're full of life, planted in the house of God, transplanted after death into the house of God by resurrection. And patient and firm like a tree, they stand the mighty wind at the end of time. They will not fall when the seven minutes of terror come, and faith falls and falters in those who don't know God. Friends, trees don't fall in the midst of storms, and they have roots of faith that go deep into God's Word. I mean, we live in a day when there's a lot of charismatic preaching going on out there, and I'm not against charismatic preaching. I just wish it would be in the Bible more. Friend, if we're going to stand in the last days, our faith must not be based on how good someone sounds. Our faith must be based on what the Bible says, and our love of truth, and our love of Jesus. There's a vital emphasis of mercy in Revelation 7-1 that shows God's deep concern for people just before the terror comes and Jesus returns. There are three concrete reasons why evil does not overtake the world until the four angels and the sealing angel have done their mighty work of preparing a people to stand in the presence of a living God. In Revelation 7-1, the Bible says the four angels are holding back the four winds of strife to protect the world from utter chaos and ruin because, number one, God wants to save the secular or pagan person represented by the sea. That's the first reason. Number two, God wants to save the Christian and religious person represented by the earth. But number three, God wants to save and to preserve the Sabbath keeper who loves Jesus, who keeps all of his law by faith. Now, I mean a Sabbath keeper loves Jesus. If you're a Sabbath keeper and Christ is not the focus of your Sabbath keeping, then the Sabbath doesn't matter but a Sabbath keeper who loves Christ, who keeps all of his law by faith, symbolized by trees, there's mercy for that person too. So we find here, this is not a, an attitude of destruction that God has here. It's an attitude of mercy for people who need a chance to turn to God and to keep those who have. In Revelation 7 two, it introduces another angel that calls out to the four angels in their attempt to seal the servants of God. There are four plus one angels in Revelation 7. The fifth angel is the sealing angel. Look at verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascend from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God upon their foreheads. The four angels cooperate with the sealing angel to place a seal on the forehead of God's servants. Now, friend, you simply cannot afford in the last days to not be sealed. Did you hear me? You can't afford to not have the seal of the living God in your life. Verse 3 again, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we, meaning that sealing angel and the other four are working together, have sealed the servants of our God, where? Upon their foreheads. Friends, that means that Jesus cannot return to this planet And the four winds cannot be released until there's a preparation work among the servants of God that will prepare them to stand when Jesus comes. I am not inventing that. It's right there in the text. And according to the book of Revelation, Christianity is missing something at the end of time. There are godly, good Christians out there that need a vital preparation to stand when Jesus returns. Friends, the evangelical world and the broader Christian world, there are millions of people that love the Lord. I've met them. Many of them are better Christians than the ones that attend our church, in my view. The evangelical world that Jesus loves so dearly is missing something of spiritual importance just before Jesus returns. Something is missing on the foreheads of the servants of God that needs to be there when He appears in the clouds of glory. Revelation 7, 3 says plainly that the four angels are working for the servants of God who need to be sealed. Friends, God's people need the seal of God, just like the world that's out there. You'll notice that this sealing angel in the text comes from the rising of the sun from the east. Now, why is this so? The east is the direction of the beginning in the Bible. In fact, in Micah 5.2, this prophecy that predicted the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem, it says he would come from the east, Mechetim and meolam, from days of eternity. The east goes back to the beginning. It takes this to the very dawn of time, beyond that, Jesus came as the eternal God. So if we if we go to the east, we have to go back to Eden, really. Turn to Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now go down to Genesis 2, 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, and what does it say? In the east, how many of your Bibles read that way? The Hebrew is from the east. In other words, this garden came from the beginning, before the creation of the world, it's it's here indicated. And there he put the man whom he had formed. In the Bible, Eden stands from the east, literally. In Genesis 2, God opened the door to Eden on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath day. Now Eden happens to come from an ancient Babylonian word, and I'll kind of practice it with you. Adanu. Can you hear Eden in there? Adanu. Take away the u, and you have Adan. Eden. Adanu. It means an appointed time, a sacred time. The Garden of Eden is literally the Garden of the appointed time, which is the Sabbath Garden. The Garden of Eden was made for the appointed time. It is Gain Eden, the Garden of the Appointed Time. Eden was the holy house of worship made for the seventh day Sabbath. That is why in the temple vision of Ezekiel, the eastern gate was opened on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath represents an open door to God that takes you back to the Creator God who appeared at the dawn of time. Friend, when God opens a door in my life, I want to walk through that door. What about you? I don't want to shut that door and say, no, I don't want to go forward in God's truth. I don't want to know God more deeply. No, you open a door. I want to run through that door. Ezekiel 46.1, the door is open, the eastern door of the sanctuary on the Sabbath in the book of Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, the gate of the inner court that faces east shall be shut on the six working days, but on the Sabbath day it shall be opened, and on the day of the new moon it shall be opened. Now look. It says the six working days. If the Sabbath is the day with the open gate to God, the other days are called the six working days, what would Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday be, since they are not the seventh-day Sabbath? They would be working days, wouldn't they? The Sabbath day is the day in which the eastern gate is opened. The east is the direction of the rising of the sun. I mean, it's a time gate that takes you back to God, that takes you back to the beginning where God can be experienced in in the joy of Eden, of life that is new. The seal of the living God, friends, comes from the rising of the sun from the east. In Psalms 19, the sun is a symbol of God's law and God's testimony. In the book of Revelation, the sun represents Jesus Christ in all his glory. Christ is the living word. His face is like the sun. Turn with me to Revelation 1, verse 16. It says, And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. Now, when you look into the face of Jesus, you see the brilliance of the sun in the face of Jesus. Now, John uses the figure of the sun because the sun is the constant symbol for God's law in the Hebrew Bible. Go back to Psalms 19, verse 6, describing the sun. Its rising is from the end of the heavens... It's circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Now look at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I mean, it's very clear in the context. The sun represents God's law and God's word. The psalmist says in verse 6 that nothing is hidden from the scorching heat of the sun. Then he says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Friends, we aren't converted because we read the Ten Commandments. We're converted because we come to Jesus Christ. For David, the law shines like the sun in all its glory as it moves from east to west. It is in the east and it will be found at the end of time just like it was at the dawn of time. So in the Old Testament, the sun symbolizes God's holy law. Relevant at the beginning, relevant at the end. In the book of Revelation, the Son also symbolizes Jesus Christ, the living Word, as I have said. Now, let's do some spiritual algebra together. If A equals B and B equals C, A equals what? C. Only two people out there knew that. That's pretty bad. Well, if A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. Duh, right? Now, friends, if the Son represents Jesus and the Son represents God's law then Jesus is the law, right? So when you say the law of God's done away with, you're really saying Christ has been done away with. And there are so many voices in the Christian world today saying, the law has been done away with by Jesus, and it doesn't make spiritual algebra sense. The mark of the beast in Revelation 13, 17, goes on the forehead of those who worship the beast instead of the Lamb of God. The servants of God will not worship the beast or follow his law at the end of time. They will follow God's law, which means they follow the lamb. The lamb's name and the father's name will be on their foreheads. And those who stand with the lamb stand for God. So what is the seal of the living God that stands in stark contrast to the mark of the beast? In John six twenty seven, the seal of God belongs to Jesus Christ. It's not some legalistic barcode slapped on your hand or put on your forehead. It is not about this kind of thing.
2: Let's continue now with Pastor Michael oxen Tenko in today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: In John 5, Jesus performed a miracle on the Sabbath by healing the paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. In John 5, 16 to 18, the Jews persecuted Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath day. Now, this is the context of the verses I want you to look at. John five eighteen to 19. Verse 18 This was why the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, as far as they were concerned, but he also called God his Father, making himself equal with God. Now look at verse 19. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever he does, that the Son does likewise. The work of Jesus here is to heal the human race, And this is the work that he did on the seventh day Sabbath. The Sabbath is all about healing that comes in Jesus' name through Jesus' power because he is equal to God. And through a worship relationship with Jesus Christ, if you are paralyzed, you can stand up again. You can have a new life. The Sabbath controversy in the Gospel of John is the undercurrent of the Jewish leader's challenge of Jesus Christ in chapter 6. Look at John 6, 27. Jesus says, Do not labor for the food which perishes... But for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So let's look at that verse and let's analyze it together. Who has the seal of God based on that verse? Who? Come on, let's. Jesus, right? So when we speak of the seal of the living God, we're not talking about some crazy theological idea that has no bearing on our relationship with Jesus. If Christ has the seal of the living God, I want the seal of the living God. In John six twenty seven, Jesus says that God has set his seal upon the Son. The seal of the living God belongs to Jesus Christ. The seal of the living God is on the forehead of Jesus Christ. God has set his seal upon the Son of Man. Jesus says, do not labor for the food which perishes. Don't get involved in a life that's legalistic. Come to me. I can give you living bread. And then he says, the Jewish leaders picked up on, on Jesus' words pretty quickly. They knew he was talking about creation and the seventh-day Sabbath. And so they accuse him of, of being a false teacher. They knew that Jesus was claiming to be the creator who rested from all his works on the seventh day when he claimed to be the one to whom God had given the seal of the living God. John 6, 28, they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? We want to work our way to heaven. We're not content with Sabbath rest in you, which means that our, our labors are finished in grace. No, we want to do something too. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him who He has sent. Friends, we're not talking today, when we speak of the seal of the living God, about something that is separate from Jesus Christ. When you receive the seal, if you are a Christian, you receive Jesus. The work of the seventh day is to heal the broken. The work of God in Jesus is to heal the human race. And when you believe in Jesus, when you come to honor His holy day of rest, you experience the rest of the gospel. And the seventh-day Sabbath is a sign and seal of that rest. So let's ask ourselves this question more profoundly. What is really the seal of the living God that needs to go on the forehead of the servants of God at the end of time? What is the seal that is missing, that must be marked on the forehead of the servants of God who believe in Jesus Christ? Go with me to Deuteronomy 6, verse 8. Now here, in the context, it's talking about the Ten Commandments, which were just given in Deuteronomy 5. And then we find that the law of God was written on the forehead of every believer, spiritually speaking. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And these words which I command you... Now, he's referring back to Deuteronomy four, thirteen. The Ten Commandments are called the Ten Words, which God gave them as the covenant that he had commanded. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise. Now think of this. There are many Christian homes today where people are simply mimicking what they have heard in the pulpits across the land. Little Johnny, Jesus loves you. He nailed the the Ten Commandments to the cross. Don't bother with them. That is not what God is saying here. We are to teach our children that those Ten Commandments, the principles of them, are valid forever. Forever that they are integrated into the moral structure of life, that they are part of our relationship with God. Look at verse 8. And you shall bind them. That means you put them all into one. You don't take them as ten. You bind them into one as a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, which means they go right on your forehead. Friend, the seal of God is that part of God's law, His covenant. That part of His eternal covenant, His moral covenant with the universe that is not yet on the forehead of Christians around the world because of a medieval apostasy that attacked the law of God. There are millions of good-loving Christians out there, I mean millions of them, who need the seal of the living God to take that last step forward in knowing Jesus Christ. That is what Revelation 7 is saying. The key to understanding the meaning of the seal is found in Romans 4.11. Take your Bibles, quickly turn there. Why the figure of a seal? What does it mean? Now, speaking of Abraham and the covenant of circumcision, it says this. He received circumcision as a what? A sign or seal of the righteousness which he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. And the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. Now, circumcision for the Jewish people was a sign of a covenant that was given after the flood, after the covenant to Noah, to Abraham and the children of Israel. Now, you'll see here the word sign and seal mean the same thing. Now, the seal of the living God, in contrast, doesn't start with Abraham. It goes all the way back to the east, which means it goes to the dawn of time. It's found at creation. It is the covenant sign and seal of something much larger and grander than what Abraham received. So what is the sign and seal that God is talking about that goes to Eden in the east? Exodus 31, 13, Say to the people of Israel, You shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Friend, do you want a relationship with Jesus that stands the winds of the end-time struggles that we're in? Friend, God has given the Sabbath as a sign or seal that you can know Him as God. Verse 15. Six days' work shall be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Verse 16. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations. And what does it call it in verse 16? As a perpetual covenant. The Hebrew is brit olam, as an everlasting covenant. Verse 17. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses when he had made an end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai two tables of the testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Friend, the Sabbath is the sign that God is the creator of the universe. It is the sign and seal of the living God. God has placed that seal upon the Son of God. According to the Bible, if we want Jesus, we need to recognize who he is. According to Romans 4.11, a sign is a seal, as I've said, and the Sabbath is the sign and seal of the living God. The work of the sealing angels to restore the knowledge of the seventh day Sabbath to the servants of God who love Him in the Christian world at the very end of time. That's why the end has not yet come. Because God's people universally are not in obedience with His moral law. God has held the winds back to restore the truth that the apostolic church believed in, that they kept, they worshipped on the day that pointed to Jesus. They did not break His covenant. The final seal will put the whole Ten Commandment law of God on the foreheads of Christian believers who love Jesus Christ through faith. The name of the Father, the name of the Son will be on their forehead and they will stand complete in Jesus. When the Sabbath is finally restored to faithful Christians around the world, and I said faithful Christians, I mean there are Christians out there who are praying like everything to know what we know in this church. They are praying for the books of Revelation to make sense. They're trying to piece together these things, and, and God's not going to leave them out of the mix. When these wonderful Christians see at the end what's transpiring, they're going to accept the seal of God, and the church will be healed from the apostasy of the Middle Ages, and Jesus Christ will return to gather his children who trust in him. Friends, those who have the seal will stand with no fear of the final terror because they stand with Jesus. Because God has placed his seal on the Son of Man. Don't let that statement sound silly to you. God has placed a seal upon Jesus. And the one who really has the seal has Jesus. That's what it means. Has Jesus. Why? For on him, God the Father has placed his seal.
2: That will conclude the Seal of God from the East. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Tanko. Thanks for joining us today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org. video reachinghearts.org slash video the live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website reachinghearts.org slash video thanks for listening and we do pray that god is reaching your
1: heart